1: Let your creativity bloom this spring with Bare Premium Plus paint starting at just $28.98 a gallon at the Home Depot. How doers get more done.
2: Hey there, it's Ryan Seacrest for Safeway. Now that spring is here, it's time to focus on self-care and revitalize your personal care routine. Now through March 26, head in store, shop for all your favorite personal care essentials and earn four times rewards points. Shop for items like Crest toothpaste, secret deodorant, Old Spice Deodorant, or Gillette Razors. Offer expires March 26th. Restrictions apply. Promotions may vary. Visit Safeway.com for more details.
3: Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com.
4: Hi, and welcome to Car Stuff. I'm Scott. I'm Ken. As always, we are joined by our super producer and soon-to-be road trip buddy, Noel Brown. That's right. We've got big news. Team Car Stuff has expanded for um, our upcoming rally dates. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're going to be headed up to uh, Hershey, Pennsylvania for the
5: rally North America. And we're bringing along our uh, trustee crew members. So Team Car Stuff will be not just you and I, but also our super producer, Noel, and our resident uh, camera wizard, Casey.
4: Yeah, that's right. Casey and Noel are going to be joining us for this this whole adventure. Yeah. Uh long long time on the road. We are in fact, you know what, as this episode airs, the, the very next morning is the day that we're going to set off from Atlanta towards uh uh where we headed Hershey, Hershey Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. That's yeah. right. Yeah, we've got the, the whole itinerary in front of us here. So we're going to be we're going to start out in Hershey, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. We're going to end up uh that first day in uh in Deep Creek, Maryland, and from there we're going to go on to Snowshoe, West Virginia. And then on to Athens, Ohio. It's just a three-day rally, but mm-hmm. we cover 700 miles in that time. Oh, yeah. And we do have an official uh, team car stuff entry now. This is all kind of late-breaking news, so um, we, we were able to get slotted into the rally last minute, let's say. Very
5: last minute, like yeah. that scene in Indiana Jones where he slides under the door and he has just enough time to grab his hat.
4: Yeah, I want to thank Scott and Tony personally right now for that because that was really super nice of them to kind of extend the entry period for us a lot to allow us to do that. Yeah, it was so solid. Got Thank us, you so much, guys. Got us completely set up, and of course, Glenn Beck has been there along the way to answer some questions that we've had about, uh, you know, well, we're first-time ralliers, really. Mm-hmm. So That's we're going to find all this out, you know, as long as we go, I suppose. And, uh, you know, let's let's take just a moment to mention who this is going to benefit and, mm-hmm. and what it's all about, and um, maybe just kind of describe... Uh, what we're gonna be up to because we're gonna be doing some interesting things along the way, and we're gonna make more of this than just the three days that uh that we've that we've got there, yeah, absolutely. So this is gonna be a scavenger
5: hunt type rally, which means that we will be solving puzzles and uh going places based on clues, yeah,
4: mostly seeking locations and yeah. points of interest rather than uh gathering items as we go. I hope so, because we got four big guys in the car you know <laughs> and uh, and I don't know how much space we've got, really.
5: And, uh, we should talk a little bit about the charities. Oh, of course. Yeah,
4: that's right. So this is going to be for, um, an organization called Cure. And Cure, in all caps, stands for Citizens United for Research in Epilepsy. And, uh, it's, it's a, well, it's a long-term uh, charity. They've been right. around since 1998, I think. They're in Chicago, Illinois. That's where it's based. And of course, this is, uh, you know, all on the level. This is a charity that gives, um, right to the, uh, to the cause, uh, in what we're doing, you know, this rally that we're um going to join up with here, uh Raleigh North America, same thing. You know, all of the proceeds go to the charity itself. Uh so, you know, if you donate, if you do choose to donate, um we'll talk about that in just a second. Um uh it goes to a great cause. And you can read all about uh you know the, the Citizens United for Research and Epilepsy at their website. There's a, a, a cure crew page that you can find. Um and it's just a simple word search. It's easy enough to find, like cure epilepsy and you'll and you'll be able to locate that easily. Mm-hmm. Um but if you want to, uh you can also check out and this I want to stress this too, yeah. is that we're gonna mention our Team Car Stuff donation page and that doesn't mean that it goes toward, you know, funding us on the rally. Absolutely. That, that not. means that goes to the organization. Mm-hmm. So if you would like to donate to uh the Team Car Stuff um team, I guess <laughs> we have a donation page set up and I think you can reach that from the Rally North America site. Mm-hmm. You can also find that on the um well from the Cure site. And, uh, you know, we're going to be sharing our, uh, I guess, the link for that on Twitter and on Facebook as well.
5: Yep, that's absolutely correct. And uh, we want to emphasize, of course, this, any donation that people feel like making goes to the charity. It doesn't go to us. It doesn't go to Rally North America.
4: Yeah, you'll see that we've, uh, all of our team members have made a donation. And if you feel like you want to do that, go ahead. We're not pressuring you to do so. Uh, but, you know. Drop a few dollars in there if you want, that would be really nice. We'd appreciate it.
5: You know what's really cool too is we're going to have uh we're gonna spend a lot of time uh filming some stuff, shooting the breeze. Yeah. And I I love road trips, I'm really looking forward to this and it's gonna be nice to meet uh Glenn and Scott and Tony in person. And I've never been to Pennsylvania, so you remember that Steelers hat? I do remember that, yeah.
4: <laughs> That somehow ended up in my closet. It's going to come into play. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to have to bring it. You know, we keep mentioning uh, you know those guys, but there's so many, there's 50 teams that are going to be there with us. Yeah, so it's hopefully a big rally. We're going to get to meet a lot of these people and really mm-hmm. interact with them. And of course, Glenn, you know what? Let's just go ahead and promote Glenn a little bit here, because he's the one who kind of really got us into this. Yeah. Back th- three or four years ago now. Glenn I, uh, back at Team Limer. Looking back to, um, our charity Road Rally podcast, that goes back to 2013. I had no idea that it was that long ago. Ooh. And that was kind of when we were first, uh, you know, just, just meeting Glenn for the first time. But Glenn, uh, he, uh, races in a, or not races, he rallies in a, uh, in a, in a team called Team Limer, uh, his Mustang. Uh, I think we've described that plenty of times. But if you feel like, uh, stopping by his donation page as well, why not? Mm-hmm. He's, uh, he's a long-term friend of the show and uh and we're gonna have some good times with them over the next few days
5: yeah it goes to a good cause we'll keep you guys updated while we're on the road and uh you can
4: expect to see some uh spoiler alerts some pretty interesting videos coming from us pretty soon yeah and now ben since this is a nuts and bolts podcast yes. um we cover a lot of different things so we're going to shift from that to believe it or not i want to talk about dragonflies dragonflies okay yeah um I'll go with you here. What's what's the deal? <laughs> okay, so I got to set this one up in just just for a, a moment. But in my in the car that we're going to actually take on the rally, you'll you'll witness this in right. the ne- over the next week or so. While I'm sitting at stoplights, and I, I would bet a lot of people have this happen. While I'm sitting at stoplights, I, I noticed this summer that there are constantly dragonflies hovering over the hood of my car and just kind of checking me out, like all around, Ooh. and they're they're facing me in the windshield. They're just kind of, like, buzzing around and bobbing around. They'll sit with me for the entire uh, stoplight cycle until I'm, I move on, and once I start to move or if they lose interest, they just take off. Now, I thought this was really weird because it's so consistent. I, I had to look it up, and I thought, well, okay, I'm going to look up why might dragonflies be attracted to my car or something like that. Yeah. As I start to type it in, you know the predictive search yeah, type predictive that comes text, up, yeah. This comes up as one of the things. So wow, it's, that's it's common. It is. There are more than there's there's definitely more than one person searching for, you know, why are dragonflies attracted to my car? And I found out some interesting information. There's actually a scientific reason behind this. And I I really had no idea that there was. So here's why I found this and and I'll explain You know who this is, but it comes from a site called the dragonflywoman.com. And it's a funny name for a site, I understand, but uh, the dragonfly woman, her name is actually Chris Goforth, and she's from North Carolina. She's an entomologist scientist, and she has an undergraduate degree in biology and a graduate degree in entomology, so she knows huh. what she's doing. Yeah. All right, she has a self-described insect obsession, and she studies aquatic insects, especially behavior and respiration and giant water bugs and dragonflies, and she also runs a citizen science project called the Dragonfly Swarm Project there in North Carolina. So... Again, this person knows what she's talking about. The the article here, the blog post, is from about 2012, middle of two thousand twelve. So even though it's a few years old, yeah. still very relevant as you find out. Dragonflies are still out there, Yeah, huh? and of course she was really interested in the fact that people are contacting her at all about uh, you know a a an increase in dragonflies just sightings because that's her thing. She's happy to see that they're 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 growing in population. Oh, sure. So she says, um I'll just cut to the, the chase here on this one. Dragonflies have to be able to find bodies of water in which they can lay their eggs, so they simply fly about and they look for a particular pattern of polarized light and when they see that exact pattern of light that they're looking for, they know that they found water and they can get down to the serious business of forming and defending territories, finding mates, and laying eggs. The pattern of light is incredibly important to dragonflies, so it's highly you know because it's highly attractive to them right so here's the unfortunate part is <laughs> for dragonflies anyways. When we started to build cars and putting paint on those cars, and I would guess that this has to do with a lot of the modern coatings, you know, the, um, the clear coats and stuff like that, and the, uh, the, uh, not so modern, but the, you know, the, the metal flakes and stuff. Those vehicles happen to give off the same pattern of polarized light as water. Weird. Especially, Red cars or dark colored cars. Now, this is a, I have a, it's a deep, deep blue, like a yeah. midnight blue almost. Um, my wife has a red Jeep, but we haven't really experienced the same issue Must be the thing. wrong kind of red. Uh, you know, I was thinking it was maybe burgundy or something like that that would do it, because hers is a bright red. Uh, but anyways, these dark colored cars give off the exact same pattern of polarized light as water does. And so the dragonflies, when they look at it, as far as they're concerned, that's a pond or something to them. Yeah. So they come down to investigate and they look at it, they look at it and determine, you know, it's given off the right light signature. Is this somewhere that I want to lay my eggs or I want to defend as a territory or whatever? So really when I'm sitting at the light, they're looking at me as if I'm driving a big pond down the road and they're checking it out to decide if they want to, uh, want to live there or at least hang out there for a while. What's crazy about this is that, um, the females will actually lay eggs on the hood of your car if they if they're fooled enough by it, if mm-hmm. they determine that it is a body of water, they'll start to uh, bob up and down and tap the hood of your vehicle. And they're <laughs> this is again unfortunate for dragonflies; it's a wasted egg, really. They, yeah. They're not laying it in water where they should be laying it. Um, but there's a lot of ways that she mentions here in this article to uh to discourage them and oh by the way the eggs if you do spot the eggs on your hood they're they're little tiny yellow streaks or blobs and the streaks would be i guess because um it was a uh you know it was laid unintentionally on a hard surface when they thought they were dropping it into a soft surface so um a couple of tips and these are real simple cover your car when it's not in use if you can do that just throw a car cover on top of it if the egg issue is really bothering you because some people have a big problem with it if they do live near a um a large population of dragonflies. Um if you can park in the shade that helps. Uh and I don't know what that does to the light, uh you know, the visibility from the uh, the dragonfly's eyes, but apparently in the shade is better than in the sunshine. Uh she mentions this without really knowing, but she says try waxing your car. I recently have polished my car for this rally, uh so yeah. that the stickers don't remain on forever. Huh. And um that doesn't help. I still have dragonflies all over it since last weekend. And the last one would be, uh, just simply cleaning up afterwards. So, you know, keeping a spray bottle and a, you know, soft cloth to wipe it off or whatever. But, mm-hmm. um, isn't that interesting though that it really is an issue for not just me, but for a lot of people. I think she said that she was, you know, she might receive one or two notes a year about something like this. And in the, during this time in 2012, she was getting something like 15 or 20 a month or something like that. It was like a big increase. That's, and, that's insane. Yeah, so I was wondering if other Car Stuff listeners have experienced the same thing. And, of course, now you know why it happens. Uh, but it was just one of those curious things that I, I thought about every day, you know, when I got in my car, because it happened literally every day. Oh,
1: such a clutch pickup, Dave. <laughs> I know, right? I was worried we'd bring back the same team. Oh, no, I meant those blackout motorized shades, MVP of the room. Blinds.com made it crazy affordable to replace our old blinds.
3: He scored. Go to Blinds.com for 40% off site-wide and a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Go right now for 40% off site-wide at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.
1: Ready to bring some spring vibes indoors? Bare Premium Plus Paint is here to make it happen. And it's starting at only $28.98 a gallon at The Home Depot. Picture your kitchen coming to life by adding a pop of blue with the bare-exclusive color Arrowhead Lake. And let's not forget your living room. Picture it drenched in the lush, verdant tones of Amazon jungle, breathing new life into your space with every glance. Head into your bathroom and let the cool breeze of sea glass wash away all your stress. And when the morning sun peeks through your bedroom window, Feel the warmth and comfort of a spring sunrise with shades like Coral Cloud and Dark Crimson. Whatever your inspiration, start your spring with a durable finish that resists dirt and grime to last all season. And let your creativity bloom with Bare Premium Plus paint, starting at just $28.98 a gallon at The Home Depot. How doers get more done.
0: Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other. Even before you do, every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025
5: QX80 coming this summer. So I guess what we're seeing then is something that's going to continue because there's no, um, I guess it's, it stinks for the dragonflies, but there's no harm being done to people because of this paint color. Uh, you
4: know, would they change it? You or, know, I don't even or, know if it's that. It's just, has it always been like this? Because I've got this yeah, car how far that's far p- does to go. Well, yeah, I wonder. I mean, does it, does it start with clear coat or is it something to do with, you know, the, the new type of paint that we use? Right. I, I don't recall it on any other car and I've had other dark blue cars. Um mm-hmm. that i haven 't really noticed this type of thing, and maybe it has something to do with uh population of dragonflies in your area, of course, sure, but I was in Michigan with a dark blue car and and nothing happened there and now i 'm here in you know Roswell georgia with a dark blue car, and it 's happening it has i I just feel like it has to be something with it and i I thought initially when I was sitting at the lights that maybe my car because it 's so dramatically different from other vehicles that I've I've driven as far as, um, you know, this this occurrence, you know, the dragonflies hovering about. I thought it was something uh, like maybe, you know, Volkswagens give off a certain scent, or something, you know, and yeah. I know that, that sounds funny, but it might be a coating on the exhaust pipes, or it might be, um, a reflective barrier near the, near the exhaust. And it that, might be that heats something, up.
5: yeah, when it heats up, yeah. it emits some of those, uh, VOCs or something.
4: Well, that's what, that was going through my head is, you know, it can't be that it thinks it's water. I mean, that's, that seems I was too
5: crazy. thinking at first it might be some sort of scent-based thing, but also, furthermore, this brings us to another question, which is, are there other cases of different types
4: of insects being attracted to other kinds of light or paint colors? Well, you know, I can I can sort of answer that right now because at the end of that post, she has something that um, it's, it's further reading, I guess. It was from a, I think it's a scientific journal. It's a Journal of Insect Physiology from 2009, and she quotes this one. Um, Degrees of polarization of reflected light eliciting, oh, boy. Polaro Texas in dragonflies, mayflies, and tabanid flies. So, I guess if you live in an area that has any of those other, you know, the mayflies or the tabanid flies, um, this this um, uh, pol- polaro Texas, I guess, or polaro Texas, uh-huh. um, is the uh, um, the behavior. That, okay. that they're exhibiting and they're attracted to uh something that is not what they think it is. So they think it's water but it's not. And I don't know if that, you know, also applies to types of glass or buildings or uh what other surfaces maybe. Yeah, I mean what happens when we try to case test this?
5: I guess you would take a um take like a flat pane of something and then put clear coat, just clear coat on one thing and then just a paint of a certain
4: um what was that word? I guess a certain hue or shade. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, as the lights reflected through the different, uh, you know, I guess in the new layers of paint that we have now, you know, the the different processes, the the, the coatings, uh, maybe that's what they're seeing. But I know that they're also attracted to solar panels, so uh, it has everything to do with reflected light and and okay. how that works. I I just don't know much more than that. I just thought it was really fascinating that it was uh, it was worthy enough for, you know, an entomologist, an aquatic entomologist, to uh, to take up the study and, and determine what's going on.
5: Yeah, that is fascinating. Yeah, enough frequency, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well... Ready to move on to the next thing? I'm still kind of mystified by the dragonflies, and I'll tell you the truth, man. I'm a little bit envious. It feels like you have this extra hidden feature in your vehicle.
4: <laughs> you know what? I'm trying to watch for this in in other vehicles as well, and I, I haven't been able to really spot it. It's before. probably
5: hard to notice it unless is. you're inside and right by the the windshield and the you know
4: in inside the car. Well, exactly right. I mean, you're looking at it, thinking like, I don't want to roll down the window here at this light because this you know four or five inch uh, dragonfly is going to pop in my car. Yeah, not that they're you know dangerous in any way, but uh, it would be shocking to have a a huge dragonfly in your vehicle. I'm
5: just wondering, you know, what if there are shades of paint that attract bees or hornets? God forbid. How about
4: the ladies? (laughs)
5: That's fire engine red, my friend. (laughs) Yeah, I guess you're right. Maybe blue with a nice white racing stripe. (laughs) I think that has something more to do with the
4: type of vehicle.
5: But, or yeah. uh, flames, <laughs> painted flames. <laughs> all right. Oh, forget on. I said
4: that. Forget <laughs> I said that. Okay. So, all right. Here's the next, uh, the next bit of nuts and bolts here. Mm-hmm. I was, uh, I was in my car on the way to work this morning, and uh, our guy Clark Howard comes on the radio. Clark Howard, local financial expert,
5: consultant based here in Atlanta and from all accounts a great guy. Would you call him a consumer
4: advocate maybe? Consumer advocate is, is a great term. He's yeah. he's trying to save you money everywhere. I mean, yeah. you know, airline tickets, automobiles, insurance, whatever it is. So he, he does a bunch
5: of uh, spots on other stations. He also has his own show, which I'm a big fan of, of course, where you can call in and he will give you Financial advice, and the guy has encyclopedic knowledge.
4: Yes, of this. he's he's really really smart, and and the thing is, he's I think he, he's been in uh, he's been inducted into the Radio Hall of Fame. I think recently, uh, he's a, he's a syndicated guy, so you hear him all over the United States, at least if not elsewhere. Uh, but smart guy, and he was talking about sedans this morning, I So my ears perked up. You know what's the deal with sedans here? Yeah, and so he's talking about how. um the real steal of the season right now, if you want to get a really great deal on a car, you want to go for a sedan. And I thought, well, that's really weird. You know, it's, that's usually one of the ones that's kind of, uh, kind of expensive really on the lot. Right. Uh,
5: why, why so? Average price of a new sedan is about $32,000.
4: Yeah. It's, it's somewhere there or just north of there. I think yeah. Even. It's between so it's,
5: 32 and 34 it's or something.
4: Definitely not going the other way. No, not anymore. However, I want to tell you that right now, this particular time of the year, right when we are right now, middle of the year, um, sedans can be had for relatively cheap on dealer lots. And I thought that was pretty fascinating. And they said it's mainly because, well, there are a couple of reasons. The popularity of SUVs and crossovers and trucks. Now, pe- everybody seems to want SUVs, crossovers, and trucks. That seems to be like the, the cool vehicle to have right now, or the, the vehicle to have. Um, sedans uh, just have kind of fallen off in sales. And right now, especially, when it's still 2016, the 2017s are just arriving, but they've still got 2016s on the lot. Mm-hmm. Those sedans, because the sales are dropping off a bit, and the, you know, combined with the fact, of, the fact that uh, the 2017s are coming in, and no one wants the 2016s anymore, which is incredible to me that it's you know mid 2016 and that's the case already. Yeah. But, um, Combined with that fact, it's, it's, they're gonna be sitting on dealer lots, you know, just collecting dust and, and costing them every day that they're not being, you know, they're not sold.
5: Which dealers
4: hate. If you've checked out some of
5: our podcasts on how dealerships work, uh, after a certain amount of time, they are taking a bath.
4: Yeah, absolutely. On every
5: car in the lot that's there after. A, several months
4: yeah oh, there's a there's a, uh, a formula that they can use yeah. to determine how much it's costing them each day based on the vehicle and you know all that how much it goes how much goes into its storage and everything um so this got me to thinking and i, I again i looked up the price and, and here's where i'm coming from on my question to you ben and this is the, yeah that was really the end of his message is that you know you can have a 2016 sedan right now at a, at a really really good cost my thought is this um the range of sedans the price of sedans is so dramatic right now i don't know if we've ever seen the range like it is i mean you can get oh, yeah. a if you if you consider that you can get a i i know this is not what everybody thinks of when they think of sedan but an economy sedan so any small car that comes in a four door version uh, you can get those for you know what, what is it like twelve thousand dollars? I mean, at some <laughs> ends, if you get if you get roll up, you know, hand crank windows and no power doors, right. and All that stuff. I think you can still get one for relatively cheap before. But it's, that's bottom you, of the you, barrel. Yeah, let's just you probably would want to step up a level or two at that point. I would. Really. I, would I mean, say so. It would be good advice. Too. Anyways, okay, so there's that. Then there's the midsize sedans, which range anywhere from, uh, oh, I don't know, like twenty thousand to. Uh, believe it or not, $80,000, and that's getting up into the Jaguar XJ territory. You know, like those starting prices, I think, eighty three on those or somewhere near there. Mm-hmm. So that's still, that's pretty much, you know, um, your average family sedan up to, let's call it a luxury sedan. Then there's another group that is, uh, you know, even bigger, the large sedans that start in the 80s and then go all the way up to, oh, I don't know, $300,000, $400,000. Um, so, you know, some of the Mercedes, the AMG Mercedes, are coming in at $300,000 or $280,000 or whatever the price may be, but it's way, way up there. And if you go to the, the most extreme example, which would be Rolls Royce, and I know that you don't necessarily count that as a sedan, but it is true. It is a sedan. So if you want to be fair about all this and go right by the books and call it a sedan, that's a sedan, that's a sedan at $450,000. Let's take, let's take that out of the mix and just say, the Mercedes at three hundred thousand is the top end,
5: which is a, such an insane range. And I'm fairly certain
4: that the Mercedes is not the type of sedan that Howard's referring to. Yeah, I I get that, and and also I, I'm having trouble. It's low sales volume, so maybe that does play into that number of thirty-two thousand or thirty-three thousand that we talked about. But my, my my big question here to you is this: All and right. thinking about this range again, from twelve to let's say three hundred thousand dollars. Should we – and factoring in that SUVs, crossovers, and trucks are so popular now, we always kind of use sedans as kind of like the baseline or the standard or the market indicator of what an average vehicle costs. Should we continue to do that going forward? And a lot of people do it. It's not just the show. Yeah, it's an industry standard. Yeah. A lot of
5: economists and uh, analysts use the sedan as sort of the canary in the cave. Well, you can
4: look up average price of U.S. sedan, and it, that's a number. And uh, it's something that somebody researches and, and determines, and that's kind of that go-to number that everybody looks at and says, well, you know, right now, here's the way the uh, the car market's moving. The average sedan costs this much. Yeah. And you hear that often, You can, especially if you're into car stuff like we are. So we hear that and we read that. Is that a measurement that we should be using going forward, or should we somehow change it? I don't even know what you would change it to, right? Um, Or if it's, or if it's even something we should mess with? Maybe because there's always been SUVs, or not always, but you know, recently there's been SUVs and crossovers, but there's always been trucks, right? Um, They've always been popular, but now I think you know after our. Last truck episode that we did. Yeah. Truck popularity is just going through the roof.
5: It spiked, man. We didn't understand the consequences of our actions. So what do you think? Is that, is that a standard measurement that we should use anymore? It's fascinating you say this because it also makes me think of a larger phenomenon, which is that these sort of measuring, uh, tactics or the methodology, the metrics or whatever always seem to be a little bit outdated when compared to what's actually happening on the ground because they have to gather so much information that, you know, when you think about it, the ability to calculate a car price is, even if it's not spot on, it's amazing they can correlate that information so quickly and have the 2015 stuff come out in 2016. That's really fast, and it's still a year behind. So it also makes me think of, you know, like uh, a census, for instance, um, or the Nielsen ratings,
4: television well what they have going for them is they have dealer reported sales numbers and that's something that they can access a big database that they can access and and then and quickly get that information but you know when we talk about other things like uh, traffic deaths and um, uh, collisions where airbags deployed and all that stuff that has to trickle in a lot slower and that's why we're usually a couple years behind on those stats so um so that's what i'm saying it is pretty fascinating how quickly they can come up with these numbers i i'm also saying like because
5: this is a little bit outdated, maybe it is time to change it. One of the one of the best things to do would be to figure out which vehicles are the top, maybe the top five, top ten, and do do a grab bag of their prices. But the the interesting thing is, it makes me think of in uh, the Economist or in all the old economics classes that. I had to take, and I'm sure you had to take as well, listeners. Uh, they used to talk about the price of bread and milk, you know? Yeah. And now there's that huge index where like the price of a cheeseburger in this country versus this country. Yeah. So the problem with some of those measurements is that, you know, not everybody buys bread and milk. And... Yeah,
4: no one's interested in the, the price of a dozen eggs if you don't cook at home.
5: Right, or, or if rent is, uh, eight hundred dollars in one place and uh price of a loaf of bread is I don't know, like a dollar fifty but then <laughs> but then then another place where bread's still a dollar fifty rent is four thousand dollars it makes a heck of a difference and that kind of
4: calculation can be missing i, I totally get what you're saying because like city living versus suburb living and you're gonna have two different sets of numbers and the, the average then is that really an average reflection maybe you should maybe you should focus it on average urban rent or average suburban yeah. rent and but, I no people do okay so going back to the car uh, example yeah. though I here's my gut feeling on this is that with crossovers being so popular and kind of bridging well they do bridge the gap between SUV and yeah. sedan yep I feel like that's the new number to go with what's the average crossover cost and and that, I know it's tricky because sedan is a pretty easy one to de- identify. You know, it's a four-door vehicle with the right. you know, trunk and seats. Uh, you know, four to six or and there you know, four to five of sedans out there. Yeah, whatever the defin whatever the exact definition is of sedan right now, that's easy. Crossovers are a little bit trickier because some call it. Uh, they have different sizes of crossovers, which I, I suppose sedans have different sizes as well. But um, this is a, a relatively new, relatively new group, and again, it, it all is based on. Um, you know the, the manufacturers wanting to slot their newest vehicle in that crossover spot, they might call it a small crossover. They might call it a large crossover when it's probably a small SUV or a large sedan. Um, the, the crossover thing is a little tricky at some at, at the edges. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. I, I, again, this is this may be this may be the way that they go in the in the future. I think is that you know go go by the average crossover price rather than the average sedan price. <sighs>
3: put the spring back into your step and into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save 40% site-wide. Get 40% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.
1: Ready to bring some spring vibes indoors? Bare Premium Plus Paint is here to make it happen, and it's starting at only $28.98 a gallon at The Home Depot. Picture your kitchen coming to life by adding a pop of blue with the bare exclusive color Arrowhead Lake. And let's not forget your living room. Picture it drenched in the lush, verdant tones of Amazon jungle, breathing new life into your space with every glance. Head into your bathroom and let the cool breeze of sea glass wash away all your stress. And when the morning sun peeks through your bedroom window... Feel the warmth and comfort of a spring sunrise with shades like coral cloud and dark crimson. Whatever your inspiration, start your spring with a durable finish that resists dirt and grime to last all season. And let your creativity bloom with bare premium plus paint starting at just $28.98 a gallon at the Home Depot. How doers get more done.
0: Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other
5: SUVs are so sensitive to gas prices, mm-hmm. right? Even mm-hmm. the even the so-called, like, subcompact hybrid SUVs or something. Well, sure. And
4: and go ahead and calculate all that. That's fine. You can have average truck prices. You can have average SUVs. But you the a-
5: gold standard
4: should be the crossover. Yeah, the one that everybody kind of points to is, like, um, is it fair to say it's like a market indicator to show, like, and I don't know if that's the right way to say it or not, but, yeah, but you know you're, you're going say. out to buy a new car and hey, you know it's expensive because the average price of the new sedan ever, an, or the price of an average sedan now yeah. is this. And so having a benchmark for it. Yeah, yeah.
5: Yeah. I could see that. Um we'll, we'll see where it goes. Yeah. I'm I'm gonna start using that for a comparison and see how it works out. Average crossover? Average crossover. Really? I'm gonna try it. I've yeah. swayed one person. So maybe uh <laughs> Starts with you know. one. Because I'll start I'll start using it in
4: research and stuff. Oh, okay, let's see if that helps. Maybe we can uh well, I'm make- sure there's an average crossover price, but, like I said, it' it's got those you know blurry edges you know the the top end and the and the bottom end, yeah, but I don't know. Does sedan have the same thing maybe maybe again okay. we're we're back to the you know between twelve and and three hundred thousand dollars range though you know
5: well, I'm gonna work on it. I'll get back to you uh what else we got?
4: okay, this is my last thing here okay and, uh, and i I found this. Unbelievably fascinating. It's 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 something that I would doubt that not many of our listeners have really paid attention to or ever researched or or dug up or anything. I'm going to show you a photo. You can you can take a look at that photo right now, and I'll, I'll describe where it comes All from right. in just a minute. But um, maybe we can get a, this up on our Facebook a, in some point. At some point. Okay, Ben. This goes back to an email that uh, kind of a back and forth between myself and, and a listener named John. And uh, John, by the way, wrote in one of his notes that he is a. A confirmed friend of a long time listener to the show, El Buche. If you can remember from way back in oh, the day. Oh, smokes. El Buche rides again? Yeah, yeah, he's still, and I said, <laughs> I think I said something like, it's, uh, it's good to hear that he's out there and still, you know, doing what he was doing before. Uh, we haven't heard from him in a long time, but, uh, oh, he, was a cool okay. guy. he had a lot of, uh, we had a lot of, uh, email yeah, back and forth with him great. as well. So, John, I, I mentioned to him, just, you know, tell him we said hi. So, John wrote in, and it was all about our board track episode, really. And but there's a, there's a bonus here, and the bonus is what I want to talk about. Right. So, well, there's a lot in this note, but so he writes in and says uh, he really enjoyed the board track podcast, and his father unfortunately had just recently passed away at the age of ninety in January, and it reminded him of a lot of stories that he'd tell about his times in the late 1920s. So here we are, right in the middle of the board track era. Mm-hmm. So as a youth in the 1920s, he remembers seeing these things. He said his dad lived on Simpson Street in St. Paul, Minnesota, between Como Park and the Minnesota State Fairgrounds. So his uh, his dad and his buddies would take time off from playing you know, marbles and whatever they would do and go over to the board track at the Minnesota State Fairgrounds. He said the track was basically two-by-fours laid end-to-end, end, and it was in disrepair. It had holes like you couldn't imagine from the Minnesota winters, you know, the decay that we talked about. Yeah. Yet they still raced on it, even with those holes in place. So he says that... Um, you know, the banks were pretty high. He didn't know exactly how high they were, and I didn't look up the information about the Minnesota track, but you remember some of the banking went all the way up to, uh, I think it was 62 degrees or some crazy number like that, really high. Um, but he said that regardless of, of all that, he and his buddies would go to the, go underneath the track during the races and dare each other to poke their heads through the holes as the motorcycles would come around the track. And they would dare each other, and they and they would, uh, you know, whoever won was the the person who could keep their head through the whole longest oh, during wow. during a race. That's now, can you game. imagine that? I mean, that's like that's <laughs> hair raising stuff. I mean, anything happened in that case, uh, John wouldn't be around to write this note. That's insane. It is, isn't yeah. it? I mean, oh, man, stuff that kids do like that. I mean, But, but that's not the coolest part. I, I don't know. I, 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 I'm not sure that it is. The, he added something to this note that is possibly cooler than that. So <laughs> he goes on to say, as diesel locomotives grasp hold, many of the 50-year-old steam engine locomotives were no longer needed. Dad recalls sitting in the Minnesota fairground stands with temporary track laid through the infield. He'd hear a train whistle from the outside of the stands to the left and then answered with a whistle to the right. The engineers would set the throttles, jump off, and the two steam locomotives would rush into the infield and have a head-on collision right in the middle. He said it was a real thrill to watch, and the boilers would blow, and things would blow every, be thrown everywhere. There was a huge explosion when this would happen. Wow! Can you believe that? They would, they would stage Insane. steam locomotive head-on collisions at the track for spectators and the fans. That was a, that was a spectator event. They did that, I think they did that two years in a row. They did that in what, 1933 and 1934? Yeah. So I thought, man, that's pretty crazy. And I sent him back a letter saying just how incredible that was. I'd never heard of that before. Um, you know, that the, they would do anything like that. It sounds really dangerous, amazing, and you know, all that stuff. It would be a lot of fun to be in the stands. I probably would attend something like that. I would too. I you mean, know,
5: I don't think they There would be, there would have to be some law banning this kind of thing nowadays. I would think so. But I would, if we have a chance, I would totally go see
4: a staged train wreck. I I would too. Now, I thought, okay, this can't be the only time this happened. Well, maybe it's not the only time. I'd never heard of it before. So again, it happened twice, uh, as we said, at the Minnesota Fairgrounds. And he sent back a photograph and said, you know, I just thought I'd send you some you know, photo proof of this. So he sends back an aerial photograph of all things from 1934, or th- 1933 or 34, he doesn't know yeah. when, of the Minneapolis uh, fairgrounds, of the, the Minnesota state fairgrounds. And if you look in this photograph, which hopefully again, I you know what, I'll post it today. It's going to be earlier than the podcast, so you might have to go back and look yeah. on Facebook. But it shows in the, uh, the, on the left side in the middle, Two railroad engines that are facing each other on the short track of the infield. They're kind of lining them up, getting them ready. But you can see the, the, um, uh, the temporary track in place. And he says, well, this, this caption here says that for two years in a row, these head-on locomotive collisions were one of the grandstand features for the, the state fair. Unbelievable. Wow. I, I mean, it's gotta be
5: now, so unsafe, but I would totally be up there checking that out. Okay.
4: So I thought, well, that's really odd, right? As yeah. we said, two, two of these in a row, you know, 33 and 34. Well, I started looking to it a little bit more and I found a little bit more information about it. And, uh, you might want to look up a town called Crush, Texas. And <laughs> Crush, Texas was a temporary city that was established just as a one day publicity stunt. By a guy named William George Crush, so he named it for himself. I thought it was about what was going to happen there. You yeah. know they're going to crush these trains, but right. he, he sets it up as a publicity stunt and, and uses his name. So <laughs> this is so weird. He sets up the, this whole city as a as a, again a, a publicity stunt. And general passenger, he, he was a general passenger agent for the Missouri Kansas Texas Railroad, and that was popularly known as the Katy. And, of course, this idea was conceived by, you know, William George Crush, who was um, thinking that, you know, he displayed this train wreck as a spectacle rather than something, you know, horrible that happened on the track. Right. You know, people could witness this. So yeah. um, I guess you could go, you could travel to this train crash location to Crush, Texas, from anywhere in Texas for uh, for $2, the, the reduced rate of $2. So you could get a, a train ride there to, to witness this whole thing, and there was really no admission other than that. Um, so as a result... 40,000 people showed up on this one day wow. in 1896. That's a huge crowd in 1896. That seems so cool, so, the idea of opening your own town. It, it does, just for a single day, and, and what you're going to do there, too. I mean, you know, promising this. What a promoter. So seven, September 15th, 1896, um, they all proceeded to this brand-new town of Crush, Texas, <laughs> temporarily the second-largest city in the state on that one day. Pretty interesting. So... This is crazy. During the thing, and we'll talk about the crash in just a minute, but uh, something horrific happened during this crash. Unexpectedly, both of the engine boilers exploded simultaneously and rained the crowd with debris, and we'll talk about what happened here. Oh, wow. So uh, they say that um, uh, it was right around – I think the, the crash was actually delayed for an hour because the crowd resisted being pushed back to a safe distance. They all wanted to be a lot closer to it than they actually were. So can you imagine how bad this would have been yeah. had it happened you know, another way? Um. All right. So what happened was around five o'clock p.m. the two trains pulling cars loaded with railroad ties, so extra weight behind wow. them, yeah, uh, were rolled to opposite ends of a four-mile track, and then the engineers, uh, they opened up the steam and uh, you know opened up the the steam valves, and the pre to a pre-range setting. They rode for exactly four turns of the drive wheels, and then they jumped from the train, so there's no engineers on board. And each, tree, each train reached a speed of about 45 miles per hour, so a closing speed of 90 miles per hour when they collided. Wow. And uh, right near, right, I guess they had an anticipated spot in the middle where they're supposed to collide. Uh, when they collided, as I mentioned before, there was a huge explosion. The boilers exploded. Debris came raining down on the crowd. Pieces as large as half of a drive wheel were blown hundreds of feet into the air. Some of the debris came down among the spectators. They ki- It killed two people, maybe three. They're not even, there's no accurate numbers for this. Wow. Two or three spectators were killed, injuring a lot more. The event photographer, the guy whose name was um, Jarvis Joe Dean, lost an eye because of Flying Bolt. He was that close. Uh, so crazy thing, you know, a really strange time in history. Um, Scott Joplin, who was a, a ragtime composer of the day, he composed a, uh, a piano piece that went along with this that called um, The Great Crush yeah, the Great Crush Collision March, and it's unknown if he actually witnessed it or not. But part of this composition, I think, was he included instructions of how to uh, replicate a train whistle, right? You'll tra- not just a train whistle, but how to replicate the sound of the collision itself. Oh wow! So you might think that he actually witnessed this whole thing. Ooh. I mean, just you know, reading between the lines, I guess. And uh, if you want to read a little bit more about this, this uh, this crash at Crush. It was printed in a magazine called Cowboys and Indians Magazine, which I didn't know there was a Cowboys and Indians magazine, but there is. Uh, from October, um, August and September of 2014, they wrote a five-page article, and they have four large photographs so you can see this, this, this thing that happened. As far as I know, there isn't any film footage of this. However, there is film footage of another collision like this in 1913. No way. Yeah, there's a, there's a film of two steam trains colliding at the 1913 California State Fair, and again, this is one that happened at ninety miles per hour. The only difference with this one is the boilers didn't explode. So you don't get the uh you know the, the quite the drama of the other event, yeah. the crushed Texas event. Uh but it's a silent film, unfortunately. You know, it's a silent film we're shot in that sure. we're shot in that day. And it shows if you search on on YouTube you can find this. It's about a six minute clip or vi- uh, video of a film mm-hmm. that shows highlights of the entire fair. But if you skip ahead in the in the uh, in the clip, you can find the uh, the collision, and it man, it's just severe. I mean, even though they don't explode when these two things collide at that speed, yeah, neither one of them gives an inch. It's just a like forty five miles an hour to dead stop and the both back ends raise up uh, there's a lot of destruction, but not quite the amount of destruction that was seen at the crush texas event and and you can see photographs of crush, uh, crush Texas as well, and it's just uh, exponentially more than this, uh, this California State Fair, but you get to see it actually happen at the California State Fair in 1913. So, <laughs> man, Johnny, I appreciate you writing in and telling us about this because it's a, it's a complete chapter in history that we just had no idea that they were doing this. We didn't know they were intentionally smashing steam locomotives in yeah, the 1930s. And we found out a little bit late. We're not in time to get tickets. But <laughs> yeah, I... We're about,
5: so, uh, almost a hundred years late. <laughs> we're approaching a hundred years. So, Maybe it will come back. Uh, I've seen that. I know that stage accident things in the past have been pretty controversial because, you know, people can get injured, but also people say, oh, this is a waste of a good vehicle or a good you know whatever the case may be.
4: Well, you know, it's funny that uh you mentioned that because sometimes when they do building demolitions things go wrong as well. You know, yeah. the debris shoots up and out towards the crowd or right. uh the building falls the wrong way and people are injured
5: or it's the wrong building. That yep. has
4: happened before. But people are so attracted to this to to see these these examples these uh these these, um expositions of, of incredible destruction and oh, yeah. that's exactly what this is I mean I, I got to tell you I'd be in the crowd I would be one that would want to go Who see wouldn't? this wouldn't yeah well yeah, I think some people might stay away because they're smart but I think I would be there <laughs> uh you know watching at a safe distance or what I presume to be a safe distance I, I just think it would be fascinating I, I think that sound is something that uh, it would be something unlike you've ever heard yeah and it ties
5: into uh the fascination with trains that we've had for, uh,
4: for a while now. Have you, just a side yeah, question here. Yeah. Have you ever been to a museum that has a, a full-size steam locomotive on display? I mean, the, just the, those yeah. monster ones. I mean, They're the ones beasts. that the drive wheels are bigger than you. Yeah. Just, yeah. I've oh. seen some of those.
5: And what I really enjoy is there, there are a couple, um, there's one in a uh, public park in Nashville, Tennessee where you can, it's not in a museum, it's, the outside is relatively well-preserved, uh, but you can actually get into the uh, locomotive and you can see where they would uh, shovel the coal and you can see that how wide and complex the controls can be.
0: Yeah.
5: And uh, there's a, the just the scale of those things is so massive. And I think for a lot of people, some, this is something we talked about when we did an episode on train hoppers, I think for a lot of people these things look like they're moving deceptively slow. You know, uh, people think like, oh, I could hop on that, just run alongside, yeah. hop on it, start my new life in Boise, Idaho or wherever. But the fact of the matter is they are much, much faster than they appear to be going. It just seems like, it may seem like they're going more slowly because they're so long and because of the um, distance or your viewing angle. Once you get up close,
4: those things are cooking with gas yeah big ships are kind of the same way the cargo ships they look like they're just creeping along but they're moving along at a decent clip not not speedboat fast or anything but but a decent clip you know my uh my wife's grandfather worked on uh the boiler part of steam locomotives he was a i don't know if he was like a welder i i don't know his exact role but he worked with those enormous boilers you know that huge tank at the front yeah that's what he worked on uh you know pre-war you know he was a when i met him he was 99 years old that gives you an idea of how this is this is 20 years ago so it'll tell you when he was working on them but um interesting guy had a lot of cool stories and um uh man it seems like you know i think the biggest one i've ever seen is probably at the henry ford uh at that museum and i that's one i've been visiting since i was a little kid you know when it was named something different i think it was just henry ford museum now it's henry ford or something a minor change the same place um but man when you're standing next to one of those things is what do you call it like leviathan in size i mean they're just yeah, they're they're enormous and you just don't get an, a, a real sense for the size until you're standing next to one or you see a photo of somebody standing next to one in the same way with um you know if you go down to one of the nasa facilities and uh either in houston or um you know there, I think there's some up in ohio but of course the one in uh, um Florida, mm-hmm. uh, you stand next to some of these rockets that you just have no idea of the, the you know the the scale of these things until you're right there with it and then you get it. And, yeah, uh, and to to see these smashing together at 90 miles an hour, unbelievable! Oh, what a time in history!
5: What a time to be alive! We are going to have to call it a day at this point. Uh, yeah. We hope that you have enjoyed uh, checking out some of the the topics here and and Scott, I know that. I know that, uh, you brought all of our stories. I'm just so, uh, I'm so interested in this stuff now. Dragonflies attacking cars. Well, really trying to hide their children in cars, (laughs) train wrecks for sport. You know, this is, this is stuff that, uh, I'm going to keep digging into and hopefully, uh, you know, it might be worth our time to see if we could, if we could get onto a train, do a, do a ride along, uh, that, because we're near, you know, such a railroad hub here in Atlanta. We
4: have train museums in the area. Yeah, we have many train museums in the area.
5: Uh, so we can check that out and... Maybe we'll come up with some new, even stranger stories. But in the meantime, check us out on Facebook and Twitter so you can see the pictures of that Minnesota State fairground. Uh, You can find us at CarStuffHSW on both of those. If you want to hear every podcast we've ever done, well, oh, buddy, you're in luck. Because we have every single one at a website that we like to call CarStuffShow.com. Because because it you know we're car stuff that's clever I petered out at the end very clever <laughs> uh, but Scott what should people do if they don't want to hop on the Facebook
4: or uh, go on the Twitter but still want to contact us well after they hop over to our teen car stuff donation page they should reach out to us at CarStuff at howstuffworks.com. <laughs>
0: For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at HowStuffWorks.com.
2: You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. more details.